Welcome to a new series titled Pensée. That's the title of a book by Blaise Pascal, though it's not a book in the usual sense. When Pascal passed away, a large number of pieces of paper were found, and they were published together as a book. The book title might sound impressive, but it just means thoughts. And that seemed a good title for this series of short observations, many of which will become the basis for longer podcasts. You might find it interesting to know that Nietzsche published much of his work in fragments, a style which is reflective of his thinking, namely that he often puts forward ideas or fragments of an idea to which he returns in later texts. Beginning this week, I'd like to focus on higher education in the United States. There are a host of issues that are at stake at the moment. I think it's not too much to say that higher education faces enormous problems and that its future is uncertain. Of course, situations like these can become catalysts for change, so I think there is still room for hope. We'll also be taking a look at higher education elsewhere, since there are many features of higher education in the States that are actually pretty different from other countries. For instance, I did my graduate work in Belgium, where it was so expensive that it was basically free. When I studied in Germany, I paid a student activity fee that was about $30 per semester. The main point for mentioning these examples is simply to indicate that there are other ways of funding education. Higher education has been under attack for quite some time. For those who identify as conservative, there is this perception that higher ed is liberal, and that's not meant in a complimentary way. This charge is complicated by the fact that higher education usually involves the so-called liberal arts, arts that liberate us. When we can read and write, when we can analyze a problem and solve it, and when we can take incoming facts and incorporate those into what we already believe, then we are liberated. The notion of freedom here is positive freedom, not the absence of restraint, but the freeing and developing of our abilities. Learning to think critically is particularly important in a time in which there is so much information and so many falsehoods being dispensed every moment. Most of the stories we're hearing about troubles in higher ed are about so-called elite universities. I find that troubling because there are about 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States, and what's happening in the Ivy League may not be very representative of what's going on everywhere else. For instance, there are about 1,000, or approximately one-fourth, religious colleges or universities in the United States. I suspect that the experience at most of them is not the same as the schools that receive the most attention. But of course, this is a point that can cut two ways. Most conservative religious institutions are going to have somewhat or very different sorts of policies for what can and cannot be said on campus. Academic freedom is a vastly overrated idea. It doesn't matter who you are. There are some things you just can't say. And it has everything to do with what environment you're in. Academics can be some of the most conservative in the sense of resistance to change as anyone. For those who decry DEI, that difference may be viewed in positive terms. Indeed, you may be well aware that Governor Ron DeSantis has taken over, I think that's correct language, New College in Florida. The goal is to turn it into a conservative religious school along the model of Hillsdale College in Michigan. 
But religious schools have their own problems. Probably the best known of religious schools is Liberty University, which is probably best termed a fundamentalist rather than an evangelical institution. But I have to confess that these differences are usually passed over by those who are looking in from the outside. At the moment, the U.S. Department of Education has fined Liberty $37.5 million. What's the charge? Well, it's that Liberty has not been reporting the crime that's occurring on its campus. Put another way, the school has tried to maintain its reputation as an upstanding place by not taking seriously the charges of sexual abuse and harassment and various other kinds of things. Yet a question that has arisen in the past couple of years is whether going to college is really worth it, worth the time, worth the money, worth the effort. For many decades, the argument has been that getting at least a bachelor's degree was the key to economic success. It was the thing you needed to do to have a good future. Yet some people are now arguing that this old wisdom that going to college is always a net benefit may not be true, or at least not necessarily true for everyone and for everyone studying all the different kinds of things you can study in college. Many high school students and their parents are less likely to think, at this point, that college is necessary. My own view has long been that college is not the best route for many people. It's unfortunate that the U.S. doesn't have enough different models for education. When I studied, I was working on my doctorate in Germany, I stayed with a gentleman who had been trained as a bricklayer. He had a very impressive certificate on the wall that attested to his having completed the work necessary to be judged competent in his field, and he was very proud of that certificate. We'll be talking through the pros and cons of higher education. By the way, let me invite anyone and everyone, if you're listening to this program, to send in your comments regarding attending college, positive, negative, everything in between. My own experience is that the education one receives at prestigious institutions may not be quite as good as that which one receives from schools which shall we say, care less about prestige and more about education. One very simple way of making that difference clear is by considering the importance put on teaching. Large research institutions usually place very little emphasis on teaching, which often means that students end up getting graduate students for their first two years, and also that professors may not feel particularly motivated to put much energy into teaching, since, to be very blunt, in such cases, it's normally simply not rewarded. Put another way, while the professors at the Ivies may be better known and more important in their fields, one is likely to get a better education from a professor who cares about teaching and is at a school where good teaching is rewarded. Among the recent issues in higher education are those of plagiarism and dishonesty in research. When one considers the number of retractions of scientific papers, uh, there were 10,000 in 2023, the highest number in any given year so far. It's clear that not everyone is honest. Of course, part of the problem here is that human beings also make mistakes. It's not always easy to know the extent to which these retractions are merely the result of human error and which originated due to actual academic dishonesty. As to plagiarism, there are important differences between plagiarizing in terms of copying words versus taking an idea from someone without acknowledging that borrowing. The first is relatively easy to spot and to define. 
The second is much more difficult. I've been writing on improvisation for many years, and improvisation, whether it's in jazz or the blues or other musical forms and other cultures, is highly dependent upon borrowing. Those involved in these types of music are fully aware that they are borrowing from other players. Indeed, the first jazz recording was made by the original Dixieland Jazz Band, who claimed that they had created jazz. But the reality is that the first group that was approached by RCA Victor didn't want to be recorded because they were afraid that people would steal their licks, that is, their creative ornamentation. And of course, they were completely right. The history of jazz is quite literally the history of people putting a record on the turntable, playing a few measures, and then trying to copy it. That's how many, many jazz players learned. And of course, that leads us into questions of copyright and ownership, which are other questions, but very much tied into all of these. Well, that's just a taste of what's to come. I hope you'll join us for these different episodes. And again, as I've said, if you have any comments regarding higher education, your experiences or those of someone you know, please do send those and let us know if you'd like to have your name mentioned. I'm Dr. Bruce Ellis Benson, and this is On Becoming.